Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, standing, we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. And then Pastor has a message titled, When Scripture Hits Close to Home. When Scripture Hits Close to Home. Taken from Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fasted on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for our pastor. We ask now that you would bless and anoint him with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, in all these things, we'll give you the thanks and praise. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Amen. Church matters. Amen, church. Yeah. And the body of Christ ought to be like Christ. And so this year on Sunday mornings, we are studying the life of Christ from the Gospel of Luke. Last week we saw Jesus' triumph over testing, his triumph over the temptation of the devil, and how his example demonstrates for us how we can live in righteous victory over sin. And what we saw last week was that Jesus walked out of that testing full of the Spirit's power, and he began teaching and preaching in towns all around Galilee. If you look at uh, the verses just preceding our passage this morning, Luke 4, 14, and 15, there the Bible says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And so we see Jesus' public ministry begin. Yet in our passage today, what we find is that Jesus had gone back to his hometown where he grew up. Jesus went back to Nazareth. And here in Nazareth, Luke gives us uh, the first glimpse in his gospel as to what Jesus' public ministry and message really looked like. Now, spoiler alert, and we will, we will go through this entire account this morning, but Jesus' homecoming ended with them trying to throw him off a cliff. Not how the preacher really hopes the church service ends, okay? But you know what? As we study the life and we listen to the words of Christ... You know what? We too are going to find, just like the people of Nazareth, that sometimes the words of Jesus hit a little close to home. 
So I want to look at this this morning and, and uh, uh, draw some truths and encouragement for us when Scripture hits close to home. Look with me in verse 16. And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. As we look at this this morning, could we consider first of all, simply the clear customs of Jesus' life. The clear customs of Jesus' life. Verse 16 says that as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Okay, so this is going to be really profound, but I need you to stay with me. Jesus' custom was to gather together with his brethren on the appointed days at the appointed times. Can I, can I make application for us in 2024? Jesus' custom was to go to church. Jesus went to church. You look at the scripture, he went to church each week from his youth. He even went to the special services held throughout the year. Jesus' custom was to be with God's people at God's appointed times. You remember, we can go all the way back to Jesus' youth in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 41 and 42. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Hmm, sounds like a custom to me. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And we know what happened. They, they had the feast there. And uh, Jesus' earthly, Mary and his earthly father, Joseph, they did what? They, they started going back home. But Jesus didn't go back home with them, did he? And so eventually, a couple of days in, they realized Jesus isn't here. And so what? They had to go back and get him. Where did they find him? Do you remember? Verse 46, what does it say? And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple. Hmm. I'm going to be real simple this morning. The clear custom of Jesus' life was that to bring it to application today, Jesus went to church. At the appointed days, at the appointed times, Jesus went to church. Jesus even went to church for the special services that were held each year. The clear customs of Jesus' life teach us this, that if the regular gathering of believers ought, was a priority for him, it ought to be for us too. The Bible instructs us simply so not to forsake the regular assembling of ourselves together. Hebrews 10 and verse number 25 reminds us of that. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Guess what? Church was God's idea. Amen? Wasn't my idea. It wasn't even the Apostle Paul's idea. Church was God's idea. But the statistics on church and church attendance, boy, they're not great. Now, praise the Lord, we got a pretty full house this morning. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, this is an anomaly. You go to a lot of places, and it's like BBs in a boxcar. They looked, and a study that came out uh, late last year found that in America, only 20% of Americans 
report that they go to church about once a week. Only 20%. Another 21% say that they go maybe once a month. 57% of Americans self-report that they seldom or never go to church. The trend in our society, even among professing believers, is that church and the regular gathering of believers together holds less and less a place of priority in our lives. But you know what? God knew we need church. We need to be in our, a place where our lives can be under the word. We need to be in a place where our lives can be surrounded by spiritual support, by spiritual structure, by spiritual accountability. And I'm going to tell you, church, this morning, I'm going to mention this again later, there ought to be some spiritual regularity in your life. You know what? Our kids, our spouse ought not wonder if we're going to church on the Lord's day. It ought to be assumed that when the Lord's day rolls around, guess where we're going to be? We're going to be in church. By the way, I don't know that as a pastor, I've never heard of a good reason for a Christian not to go to church on a regular basis. All of the excuses I've hold, they heard, they really don't hold water. Well, there's no good church. No, there's no perfect church. But I truly believe even in this area, within driving distances, I would say there's a handful of churches that I could name who genuinely love the Lord and seek to lift him up, seek to share him with the world. I'm going to tell you, it's not that there are no good churches. There are no perfect churches. And here's the thing. Churches have to be filled with grace, amen? amen. Or they don't worry. Well, there's no good church. No, there's no perfect church, but... I do think there's some good churches out there. Well, I don't get anything out of it. Well, could be you don't put anything into it. Too many hypocrites there. Can you think of a better place for hypocrites to be? I mean, what do hypocrites need? The Word, the Lord, the Spirit of God to do something in their hearts and lives. By the way, you go to the gym with people who are hypocrites. They'll go to the gym with you and then they'll go home and eat donuts that they bought from Dan. <laughs> you work with people who are hypocrites. Hmm. I'm too busy. Oh boy, there's one. Hmm. Why do you think you're too busy? You know, if you're too busy to go to church, the reality is you're probably doing more than God intends for you to do. I dare say Jesus had more on his plate, you know, being the Savior of the world. Jesus had more on his plate. By the way, very soon in his ministry, he's not going to be able to go anywhere before hundreds and thousands of people surround him. In the very next chapter, you know what we're going to find? We're going to find that the crowd was so big around Jesus that guys had to rip a roof off a house to get to him. You're no busier than Jesus. 
And guess what the clear custom of Jesus' life was? Go to church. You know, I marvel sometimes that people could claim to be a follower of Jesus and neglect or even tear down what he died to purchase and promised to build. Acts 20 and verse number uh, 28 reminds us that the church of God, go to the next half of the verse if you would, speaking of the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Jesus said himself in Matthew 16, 18 that he promised to build his church. Church matters, amen? That's an easy one because you're all here today, so... The clear custom of Jesus' life was that he gathered together with his brethren on the appointed days at the appointed times. But, 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 it goes further. The Bible says, as his custom was, Luke 4, 16, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So I'll just touch on this. Jesus' custom was not just being in church, but being involved in church. He was regularly involved in the matters of the assembly. You know, the Bible teaches that every member of the body of Christ is a minister for the glory of Christ. You are intentionally placed by God in the body. You are intentionally equipped by the Spirit of God for the work of the body. Hear me, it's not about making church work for you. It's about you getting to work in the church for the glory of God. And so, as we see Jesus go home, what do we find? We get a glimpse of the clear customs of Jesus' life. There was a priority in Jesus' life to being in the assembly and being involved in the assembly. Aren't you grateful for the example of Jesus? But I want to see what else we see. Let's pick back up in verse 18. We'll go down through verse 22. So Jesus was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah's And he opened it and he found the place, verse 17. So he intentionally found this scripture. And he read this in verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and he sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the graciousness which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Hmm. Not only do we see the the clear customs of Jesus' life, but secondly, can I point out the clear content of Jesus' preaching? As we look at Jesus and his involvement, his ministry in the synagogue that day, 
I want to point out, first of all, that when Jesus stood to preach, when Jesus stood to address the assembly, what did he do? Jesus preached the Bible. He didn't shoot from the hip or tell some funny story. He started by what? By opening the Bible and proclaiming, Thus saith the Lord. The Bible held a central place of significance in Jesus' worship. Jesus started by opening the book. Aren't you grateful we have the Word of God? 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. I want to park right there. That means the Bible, the Bible is literally God-breathed. These are the very words of God. These are not the thoughts of God that man had to try to somehow describe and pin on paper. No, these are the very words of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. And what do we find? The promise of Jesus in Matthew 5 and verse number 18, uh, that, uh, that not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. And otherwise, otherwise, God just didn't give it to us. God has promised to preserve it for us. So hundreds and thousands of years later, what do we have? We have the very word of God. By the way, you do a little study and you will find manuscripts that go back hundreds of years even thousands of years do what? They verify what we hold in our hands. Amen. I'm so grateful we have the word. Sometimes it's easy to take it for granted. You know how many people don't have the word of God? I looked it up. Almost 1.5 billion people around the world do not have the scriptures in their heart tongue. That is over 19% of the world's population cannot pick up a book and read it in their natural language. Dale Money was here last Sunday night and he talked about some of these translation projects where, where literally uh, his, the ministry he's a part of, they are seeking to give people their first Bibles. And there was one uh, group he was telling us about in Asia. And, and praise the Lord, they now have three verses in their language. Three. But the rest of the Bible is empty pages. It amazes me and it convicts my heart that something that we have in such abundance, we have, it, we have it in book form, we have it on our phones, we have it on our tablets, we have access to it on the internet. Here's the thing, guys. Like, we live in a day and age where we can pull up an app and somebody will read the Bible to us. Like, we can have the Bible read to us while we're brushing our teeth. If my eyes are tired, I can have the Bible read to me and close my eyes and meditate on what I'm hearing. That's how good we have it. I don't even have to work that hard. I'm not a good reader, preacher. You don't have to be. Somebody can read it to you. How cool is that? By the way, if you want that app, I'll show you that app after the service. But when Jesus got up, he didn't lead in worship music. He didn't even lead in corporate prayer. He grabbed the book. And he opened the book. 
And he proclaimed, thus saith the Lord. Now, I'm grateful for music. We've got the singspiration tonight. I'm grateful for corporate prayer. By the way, if you're able, come here on Wednesday nights. I mean, it is a beautiful time of prayer together. Come on Wednesday nights and be a part of that. But here's the thing. The Word of God held a priority for Jesus. And the Word of God holds a priority for us. By the way, if this isn't a priority, if this isn't where we get our light and our understanding, how in the world are we going to know what to sing or how to sing? How are we going to know how to pray? Hmm. Again, spiritual regularity in your life is a good thing for you to be in this book every day. It'd be a good thing for your, for your spouse to see you in this book every day. For your kids to see you in this book every day. For you to be together in this book every day. For you to be involved in a small group where you're in this book on a weekly basis. Why? Joshua 1.8 and many other passages remind us that this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Why? For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. This book makes us blessable. We want to make a difference in this community. It's not going to be our worship style. It's going to be this book. It's going to be this book. The clear contents of Jesus' preaching. Jesus, first of all, he preached the Bible, amen? Secondly, and this is going to blow your mind, okay? Not only did Jesus simply preach the Bible... But Jesus simply preached Jesus. Jesus preached the good news of the liberty that he brings. Jesus quoted actually from Isaiah 61. So we're going to go there in the Old Testament now. This is what Jesus opened to that day. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. By the way, this was written of Jesus hundreds of years before Jesus came. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 62, to proclaim the good Don, get verse 62 up there for me. I want everybody to see it. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. By the way, from Genesis to Revelation, you can find Jesus in this book. From beginning to end, he is there. It is Jesus that brings help. Amen. It is Jesus who is our hope. Amen. It is Jesus who brings forgiveness. I can't forgive your sins. Baptismal waters can't forgive your sins. Church membership can't forgive your sins. But the blood of Jesus can. It is Jesus that brings forgiveness and freedom, relief and restoration. He'll set you free. He'll, he'll comfort and bind up the brokenhearted. Jesus is still the answer. It's really not that complicated. I'm so glad that Jesus came and he came preaching good news. He came preaching good news that he is the answer. But you know, for that good news to really be good news, 
You've got to really understand who he is. Jesus was clear on who he was, who he is, sorry. And you had better be too. The question of Jesus' identity is central here. When you look at the people, what did they do? Verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the graciousness which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? In other words, they looked around going, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? I, I, I mean, isn't it? I mean, we, he, he grew up here. We know his family. This is Joseph's son, isn't it? By the way, he's not Joseph's son. He's God's son. But church, can I remind you the question of Jesus' identity? The people here doubted it. But I don't think that that is a coincidence. Do you remember back from last week, Luke 4 and verse number 3? When the devil tempted Jesus, what was the first thing that came out of his mouth? The devil said unto him, what? Read it with me. If thou be the Son of God. So what do we see? The first thing the devil does is he opens his mouth and he attacks who Jesus is. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus is clear on who he is. But if you and I don't get this question right, you and I are going to be off on everything else. So let me be clear this morning. Jesus is God. Very God. The second person of the Trinity. The eternal God the Son. He is the chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah. He is Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the sovereign King and Conqueror. He is the fulfillment of all of God's great promises. He is not merely a good teacher or a good example or a good friend or a good supplier or a good comforter or a good God. He is God. And the fact that He is God means He doesn't have any trouble doing everything He said that He would do. Hmm. He is God. He is Lord. He is King. And praise God, the good news is though we have offended Him in our sin, that in His mercy and grace, He came to be your Lord and Savior, giving Himself on the cross for your sin and mine. The contents of Jesus' preaching were clear. He preached the book, amen? And He preached Jesus. When Scripture hits a little close to home, we see the clear customs of Jesus' life. We see the clear content of Jesus' preaching. But this is where things get a little bit interesting. I mean, to this point, it's been a fairly nice homecoming. To this point, it has been civil. But now we find in the rest of the passage here the clear confrontation in Jesus' message. The clear confrontation in Jesus' message. Look back at verse 22 and we'll read, we'll read through verse 30. And all bear him witness and wonder to the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, 
Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elias, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman, the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. They rose up. They thrust him out of the city and led him into the brow of a hill whereupon their city was built, that they might cast him headlong down. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Well, that escalated quickly, did it not? And really, this is the point where it hits a little close to home. The people were taken aback by Jesus' message, and honestly, makes me feel a, lot better, a little bit better because uh, Jesus' sermons got panned a lot more than mine do. So, it's good, I guess. Who did Jesus think he was? But then Jesus got even more up in their business. He reminded them of several examples of God's blessing and grace towards some unusual people. He reminds them of the, the widow of Sidon, and Naaman the leper who was from Syria. These were not people who belonged to the nation of Israel. These were not people who belonged to the covenant family of God. And yet these were people who had received incredible blessing and grace. Why was that? Because they were willing to humble themselves and obey the word of God. Let's visit the widow of Sidon. To borrow her story, the famine, like the scripture says, was three years and six months, and she had all but run out of food. In fact, she had just enough oil and just enough meal to make a little cake for her and her son. They were going to eat it, and then they were going to die. Seems like a plan that can be approved on. But nonetheless, that's where they were. I want you to see how this account goes. 1 Kings 17, beginning in verse 12. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks. This is like the saddest story I have ever heard in my entire life. Just two sticks. That I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, but go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. Boy, that seems pretty brazen, doesn't it? She's like, I have no food. In fact, I'm just looking for two small sticks that I can burn, make a little cake, and then we're just going to die. And he says, okay, but make me some first. 
Yeesh. But make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Verse 14. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. So we have this widow, and she was what? She was willing to hear the word of God and obey, even when it was painful and frankly made absolutely no sense. Now Naaman, the Syrian, he had leprosy. Leprosy in that day and age was a death sentence, was a death sentence. But Naaman the Syrian went to Elisha to try to find healing. And when he came to present his case, Elisha wouldn't even see him. 2 Kings 5, beginning in verse 10, gives us this, and Elisha sent a messenger unto him, go and wash in Jordan several times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went his way and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in rage. He thought, the guy didn't have the decency to come and see me himself. He wants me to go dip in some nasty river. I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. Verse 13, and his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith unto thee, wash and be clean? And he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Why did Naaman receive such grace and blessing? Why? Because Naaman was willing to receive and obey God's word, even when it was humiliating and frankly made no sense. Now here's the confrontation and the choice that exists today. How easy is it for us who consider ourselves just naturally close to the Lord? And distinguished members of his family and the household of faith. How easy is it for us to live our lives with the expectation and assumption on God's blessing? You see, the people thought that, well, we're, we're from Jesus' hometown. And so surely, I mean, if he's some great thing, he's going to prove it here. How easy is it for us to assume that? And yet, like we see in the widow's example and in Naaman's example, complete surrender and obedience is what God still calls us to. Amen. He is God. Amen. Amen. Amen? We are not. He has all authority. Yes. We do not. 
And so there is a very direct confrontation here with my will, with my understanding, with my desires, with what he has given us in his word. I want to in love say this morning that I feel that we have a far too comfortable relationship with God's word. But the reality is that God's word is a lot clearer and a lot more confrontational than we care to admit. The priorities of our lives, God lays them out for us pretty clearly. The call to live in honesty, the call to live a life that loves and builds up others, regardless of how they treat us. What the Bible says that we need to do about strongholds in our lives. You know, we have those pet sins that we just kind of explain away. You know, sins of the tongue, gossip, lying, manipulation, sins of pride, sins of anger and unforgiveness. That's an easy one to write off. Well, I'm angry because they. Uh, 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 uh. See, the problem is you give an account for you. Not they. And God's word is pretty clear about how we have to handle those things in our lives. I may not understand why. I may not always like it. But I always need to receive it and obey it. If you will allow it, God's word will confront your life in order to try to grow you to be more like Christ. You know, recently in my life, the Lord's been speaking to me about a couple of different things. One of which is, is, is really protecting my quiet time with the Lord. Between studying for preaching and doing classes and coaching a ball team and, you know, we're basically like renovation church now. Um, and, uh, you know, we could go on and on and on. Cry me a river, right? And so, but what happens if you're not careful? The things that matter most, it's easy to justify them getting pushed off to the side. You know, the Lord's been really speaking to me in his word about my relationships at home. It's easy to be busy, especially in this stage of life, running here and there and everywhere. And... But boy, biblically, I have some responsibilities to those people at home that come first. That come first. And I got to tell you, church, you know what? The Word of God has confronted me with that. Here's the beautiful thing about God's Word. <laughs> the Holy Spirit confronts us in grace. And so, yes, the Word of God confronts us, but the Word of God confronts us in order that we might what? That we might learn and that we might grow. You know, if I get to feeling just beaten down and guilty all the time. The Holy Spirit operates in grace. The devil wants you stuck in guilt. 
With God, there is always a path forward for those who will humble themselves and receive God's word. But man, the clear confrontation of Jesus' message. Ours is not to make God's word work for us. But ours is to give ourselves to simply work at what he has said. Church, we cannot have a selective attitude with this book. We must keep a tender heart towards God's word. And Jesus, here there is a confrontation. A confrontation confronts the people with the call, uh, not just for, for, for claiming faith, but following by faith. It is easy to say we believe. Lots of people say they believe. But I'm going to tell you, it's not always so easy to have behavior that reflects our stated beliefs. But Jesus reminds us in Luke 6, 46, boy, he says, and why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And so the choice is clear this morning. Church, let me ask you, what, what will you do when Jesus and Scripture hit close to home? Not just what will you do in some hypothetical sense. I have no, no doubt that as we've gone through the word this morning, that God has touched many of our hearts in specific ways. Maybe it's about being in this book with more regularity. Maybe it's that commitment. And in 2024, you know, church really is going to matter. I'm going to go from being those uh, once a month people to I'm going to be there every week by God's grace and for God's glory. I'm going to be there. I'm going to follow the example of Jesus. Maybe this morning as we talk about the clarity of God's word and and how comfortable we are kind of justifying it away. You know what? I, I know because I know what a prevalent issue it is. There are people here this morning that are carrying baggage of bitterness, unforgiveness, anger. You're frustrated. You are hurt. What are you going to do with it? When scripture hits close to home, People here this morning, God has touched your heart about some other sin. You know what the people in Nazareth did? They tried to throw him off a cliff. But you know, you go to Revelation chapter 3, and when Jesus addresses the church of Laodicea, he tells them, boy, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be all in or you try to throw me off a cliff. I'd rather you be hot or cold than be lukewarm. And have the Christian attitude where we want to show up and order off the spiritual dollar menu for whatever our taste of the day is. What will you do when Jesus and Scripture hit close to home. And I'm going to tell you, church, there is no moving forward until you deal with what is right in front of you.
If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, that is the first step. Come, talk to me. Talk to somebody. We'll open the book. Amen. And we'll show you God's great love for you. How you can be saved this morning. The rest of us, church, the example, the preaching, the message of Jesus has spoken. How will we respond?